This is WCPO FM 1051 on your FM dial, Cincinnati, Ohio. WKRC, Cincinnati. This is the nation station. Hi again, everyone, and welcome to the Cincy Shirts Podcast. It's episode 63. Today on our show, E.E. E. Charlton Trujillo. That's the light bulb moment. That's when I go back. I put everything into storage, and I try to do something I've never done. And it was the most poorly planned thing I ever did in my life, and it was the most phobic thing. I don't like to be in cars. I don't like tornadoes. I don't Like, you list everything. I'm a germaphobe. And it was all those things in day one, and it was like all of that, and it was the best thing I ever did. Some of you may know E.E. E. as a director of films and the occasional TV commercial, which is how I know her. Most of you probably know her as a best-selling author. She talks about how a gal from a small, very rural town in Texas winds up in Cincinnati. She also talks about her passion for this town, how she's giving back, and her opinion of Cincinnati chili. Interesting take from someone who is from Texas. Be sure to listen for the promo code at the end of the episode, of course. As always, you can use that to save 20% on your next Cincy Shirts or OldSchoolShirts.com order. So now let's talk to E.E. E. Charlton Shuhi. Cincinnati, Ohio. Cincinnati, Ohio. I come from Cincinnati. Just maybe think of me once in a while. I'm at CincyShirts.com in Cincinnati. So well, we met once. Tell me. Uh, I was telling Darren. Okay. Uh, the when Doritos used to do the uh, yeah. Super Bowl commercials. I remember those. Yeah, yeah. And how many of those did you do? Oh, I don't know a few. Yeah. yeah. Well, you did one had my daughter in it. It was over at a. It was at the elementary school. Yes. The one where the kid comes out after yeah, the flu yeah. shot. Yes. Oh my God, that was several. Oh my God, that was like nine years ago. Yeah, and uh, Hannah yeah. has a line in it. Okay. Get out of the way, worm. Yep, that was it. Yeah, yeah. And, and then, she's waiting on her royalties ever wait, since. Ever since. <laughs> so have I. So you know, we're all in the same boat this time. <laughs> so as soon I, you know, became Facebook friends, I saw. So I always known you as a director, and right. my wife always talks about how no, she's an author, and she's yep. also, so yeah, yeah. Yep. So um, okay, then good. I guess we'll we'll marry this up and. Say, I know you're not from here originally, so like... No, but I lived here about seven years. Okay. So, so obviously during the time that, you know, we yeah. had that commercial back in the day. So yeah, and then I went to OU, so, and I, I lived in Athens for about three years, and so, uh, and you know, my I'm on a book tour right now, so of course, the both, it's a sequel, so both books are set in Ohio, and this one, okay. the like key scene at the end of the book happens in Cincinnati, because you know, why not, right? Yeah. <laughs> so we'll, we'll get to that. So where are you from originally? Originally Texas, South Texas. South it's the smallest town ever. About 5,239 people. Pizza Hut. Dairy Queen. Salute. Dancer, there you go. Huh? Dancer, Texas. Was there oh, I love about? Dancer, Texas. It was smaller than mine, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I love that movie when it came out. I've been to McCallum. Yeah. Well, okay. So, oh, yeah. so Mathis, Texas is San Antonio, and then you go to Corpus Christi. It's between the two right there. Oh, uh, okay. Now go... A little bit more south, that's McAllen, down on the border. I'm about yeah. two and a half hours from the border. Wow. So, yeah, I spent some time on the border growing up and all that. So, um, but, yeah, so, you know, writing, filmmaking, I run a nonprofit called Never Counted Out uh, to empower at-risk youth, that kind of thing. So, 
Yeah, I stay busy. <laughs> so what came first? You wanting to be an author or you're filmmaker. growing up? I wanted to be a filmmaker. So these are the three things you'll probably want on the show is I wanted to be a writer. We've already started. This is the show. You're on the show? Yeah. Oh, my God. You guys are so sneaky. We always trick everybody. everybody oh, that. no, yeah. no. So three things I wanted to do when I grew up. Um, I uh, wanted to be a writer. I wanted to be a filmmaker because I wanted to win an Oscar. This is at four years old. I made this decision. Nice. And the last thing was um, I wanted to be the drummer for Kiss. <laughs> so those were the four aspirations as a young person. Wow. Yeah. That slot might be opening up soon. That might be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, they're still on tour. It could yeah. happen. Now, I, you know, obviously I'm a writer. Um, and from the American Library Association, I won the equivalent of what they consider to be an Oscar. So that's sort of like a mixing blend of Oscar, right, in writing. And then um, I'm a filmmaker. And, you know, uh, most, you know, notably, you know, I do a lot of documentary. Um, you've seen commercials, obviously. Yep. Your daughter was in one. Yep. And, um, you know, music videos and, and so on and produce some feature films. And then, of course, you know, not the drummer for Kiss, but the dream is still alive. It's true. Well, uh, a friend yeah. of mine who's a big Kiss fan uh, theorized on his podcast that he's thinking, you know, when those guys can no longer do it, they'll just stick somebody else in the makeup. And right. It's perfectly possible. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, absolutely. And I'm willing to get the boots. There you, go. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, you know, I'll, I'll take it for the team and, and get the boots, for sure. So when you're growing up and wanting to be a filmmaker, what kind of films are you watching? Or is, are there things influencing you that are... Wow. So, um, growing up in Mathis, Texas, right? There's, you know, there's that video store and then there's the video store and the gas station. That's what exists. This is VHS time. This is, okay. oh, yeah. you know, you got to go back, yeah, yeah. you yeah. know, you got to go back to hammer time That's... and, um, <laughs> just roll it all the way. That's what we're about. Yeah. And, um, so, you know, a lot of the things that were pumping through that town are going to be your mainstream Hollywood films. There's not, you're not getting like the French new wave. You're not getting, <laughs> you're not getting, house there's, <laughs> there's, there's no theater. The theater burned down. You know what I'm saying? So, so, um, and if you went to the city, which was a big deal, you go to Corpus Christi and, you know, again, it, you know, Corpus Christi means the body of Christ. So, you know, <laughs> what you were getting there was also sort of curated in a way. So there wasn't really an opportunity to kind of see a lot of anything that wasn't in that sort of mainstream. Now, of course, I saw something like Ordinary People or The Accidental Tourist or The Big Chill. And I was young when I saw those. But, you know, you're looking, you know, you're looking at those and in, 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 in out of that sort of mold of the Hollywood film, you were getting, you know, really powerful storytelling. Again, this isn't like you know, I'm seeing them probably late 80s, early 90s, you know, even though they come out sooner. And, you know, I'm like, wow, you know, um, okay, these are male directors making powerful films. Where are female directors making powerful films? And a lot of that wasn't quite happening yet. It was happening in the indie movement. I wasn't seeing any of that, right? It wasn't until later that I would see something like, you know, Mi Vida Loca or something like that. And so, um, so really those were the sort of floor plan in those early years. We're watching, you know, kind of those films. And, of course, I watched all the action films. Now, you know, I was a kid. You know, I saw whatever was available to me. But um, later going to film school, then you see everything. Like, you're just sort of, like, bombarded with all of these ideas and experimental film and all this. And you're like, wow, you know, um, this can be filmed, too. And then sometimes you're watching and you're going, that's a film. <laughs> that's a film. Yeah. They literally sat there and did nothing for 35 minutes. <laughs> but okay. <laughs> so, so, yeah. It's these kids art. With- you one of these kids with a video camera wheeling your friends into oh, stuff? Oh, so 
I, I came from a pretty poor family at that time, so we didn't have the VHS. You know, remember those big hunkin' VHS camcorders? Yeah, you yeah. put them on your shoulder. Maybe you don't remember. I'm looking at you like, do you remember? Oh yeah. You got yeah, you got that you got that young face there, so I can't. Tell. <laughs> yeah, with the gray beard. Well, you know, hey, that you know the kids are doing it, so maybe you're just like sporting it in. Yeah, really? Um, yeah, so yeah, uh, and, you know, neighbor had a big old hunkin' camera that I got to use to make the worst music video of all times. It was assignment and like in freshman year, and um, we didn't have like video club it was just like an assignment you're supposed to make a seven minute video it ended up being like an hour and what 20 minutes of it was really like a oh, musical wow. right but it was <laughs> awful i mean we were shooting in cemeteries illegally we were like in quarry pits we were in the lake it was like and and i remember we had the boom box on on my sh- on somebody's shoulder so that you could sync the music because yeah. you couldn't, you couldn't, I didn't have like, you know, a way to edit oh, it. Yeah, right, right. So I had to, I had like one of those giant family consoles. Do you remember those big ones that were on the, they would be on the ground? It's not like what we have now with the LEDs, you know, the televisions are up. It's like on the ground. And I went to the back and I spliced two VCRs behind it. I don't know how I did that and not get electric shock. And I would huh. edit on two VCRs. Oh, yeah. But to sync the music, I had to literally have someone run. If we had a running scene, it was awful. And yet, though, that was the first time I was realizing, like, if I would shoot a point of view shot and the camera's low and then I would reverse to go over someone's shoulder i'm learning how to make shots match literally just out of trying you know and so i'm making horrible films and horrible music videos you know at 13 with a borrowed camera and someone running with a boom box and connecting like two vcrs to a giant family console and i'm going oh yeah and you know don't think i didn't think i was queen then i was like oh i'm everything i look back now and i totally cringe absolutely but i learned so much you know you should put that on youtube i you know maybe i will when i get back when i get back to california i might that's a good idea (laughs) awesome i have i have a copy of that one specifically and it's so bad but it's so good it's so bad it's like it's like if you've ever read yeah, or can't seen. Replicate that. Yeah, that, I mean, that's no. pure. I mean, totally, totally. If yeah. you if you ever watch me, Earl and the Dying Girl, you're looking at me quizzically. Totally great young adult book turned to film. He makes the worst films ever in the movie. That was my childhood. Oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> totally, without a doubt. Yeah. So yeah. I, I thought I was a genius doing the VCR back and forth. I mean, thing too. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, my friends were just amazed. Like, how do you know how, how do you, do that? It's, <laughs> I don't even know how I knew to do it. It just thought, it's like, well, I need to get this to this. Yeah, how do exactly. I do it? Yeah. You know, and so it just worked. And that was sort of my training ground was to literally do things like that because there was no creative mentorship. There was no video club. There was no one saying be a filmmaker or a writer. You know what I mean? Like you grew up in a town in the middle of Texas that's one of the poorest towns there. You're lucky to have books that say you've been on the moon, right? You sure don't have people to tell you, hey, you want to be an artist? You know, I just didn't have that at home, really. And I didn't have it at school. So it was really like it was intuitive. And I just felt this hunger to write and to make movies like really. And of course, there's the kiss dream, but I had to take a back seat for a while. I had to take a back seat for a while. So you think that DIY start kind of eventually influenced or did you kind of once you knew what you were doing, it kind of like. No, DIY was totally even though I went to film school and I got a grad degree. Right. You know. You know, really, you either want to teach, right, yeah. <laughs> or you want to teach, you know, but but it was it was a good place. It was a good training ground. Right. And so but even then, I didn't go to Florida State or NYU where they like it's literally like walking onto a Hollywood set in Ohio University back then. I mean, we had a couple of flatbeds and that's basically where you put the film in the reels and you're editing like by hand. Right. And, you know, we had some computers. We didn't have a ton back then. And so you're like, it's still DIY. You just have a few more 
pieces, right? So I'm learning to make film, but in a way, it's very much like you would have learned back in what, the 60s or 70s, except you had a couple of computers, right? Yeah. And so it was very DIY then. And so you were learning still in film school. What do you do if you don't have X, right? If you don't have this thing, like if you went to Florida State, you had X and Y and Z. But, and so it was good. It, it continued that sort of way of doing it. And it, I think in a lot of ways, it made me more creative when I got out because then I had to think, you know, how do I make this shot work with what I have? I sure I'd love to have a, you know, a jib and a crane, you know, but if I got a cherry picker and I started the shot and then once we got to a certain level, it smooths out, I can use that part of the shot, right? You just have to figure out, you know, and start thinking outside the box, right? And so I definitely think DIY has, it's, it's been a part of everything I do in my life. I think it's still, in some ways I'm piecing it together, you know? So how do you get from Texas to OU? Um, you get to Texas to OU by getting accepted to three film schools, and they were the best. They gave me the best scholarship in. Okay. So I did get into Florida State, and it was it was such a hard decision because they were like number two in the country or three, and and wow. you know, know that. yeah, <laughs> at the time they were. I mean, they were. I mean, they just they had everything, but they also owned your final films at that time. At that time, I don't know if it's now, and you know. Um, it was very male-centered. So let's say 300 people apply, 90 get to um, go in for interview, and then it was something like 23 are accepted. Well, in the class right before mine, there were 22 men and one woman. And, Seriously. you know, it feels a little uneven, right? That wasn't the final decision, but it was something I was aware of. The final decision was I had more money to OU. They were going to give me more money to go to school. And I had never been to Ohio I had no reference. I didn't even go check it out before I said yes. I just said yes. <laughs> I showed up to Ohio and I'm like, what is this? You know, there's like, you know, in Texas, we're flat. The part I was in was flat. And, you know, you could see a tornado coming from, you know, how many miles away. I got to Ohio. I couldn't see. It was these, you know, hills and mountains or whatever I thought was I mountains. You're trapped. I was like, I'm, I'm like in a bowl. What is this with trees and hills? And but it was it was great. So that's that was sort of the the jumping off point was to literally go from literally not know what I'm doing, you know, as far as like I'm in Texas and I'm going to go to Ohio and then I go to school and then they give me, and then from there, a couple of years later, I got an internship at Killer Films in New York City. And so now I'm living in New York City, never been there a day in my life. And I was staying at Lucy Walker's. She's a pretty prominent documentarian. I'm staying at her place. She's out of town. I'm staying at her place for a couple of weeks. She has this red door in Chinatown, right? And I'm convinced if I leave that door, I will never find it again because <laughs> I'm so oh. like, you know, you see New York when you're a little, yeah. when you're a kid, oh, yeah. you know, it's a thing from a film. It's not real. And now I'm living there and I'm interning and I'm like, wow. So I've literally gone from like one of the smallest towns and poorest towns in Texas to Athens, Ohio, to now living in New York City and working. It was just each step was like, I have no idea what I'm getting into, but I'm just going to trust that this is part of the sort of creative journey I'm on. And it was, it was great. It was awesome. Was it a big culture shock going from Texas to Ohio? Because they say yes. when you travel down south, once you get off the beaten path, right. you're really in another world. Oh. So it was like the reverse coming from like small town, very rural Texas to Well, if you've Ohio. been to Athens, Ohio, this is before they put in the McDonald's and everything else. <laughs> so if you've been to Athens, Ohio, this isn't like a booming metro, you know, metropolitan. Court Street. That's there you go. Well, everybody <laughs> has, right? Everybody's been there. And the, the shock actually culturally was, you know, is, is I'm Mexican-American. I grew up with a lot of Mexican-American people, and that wasn't happening in Athens, Ohio. So when I first got there, the cultural shock for me was really about, cult, you know, race. And um, what was really, you know, it's a story I always remember, and, and I, I meet a lot with young people across the country for the work that I do. And we talk about race, and I talk about the racism that was in my hometown. Then I talk about an interesting thing that happened at OU was 
meeting one of the prominent figures in my department, I said, wow, this has been really interesting because, you know, coming here, I feel kind of a little out of place, you know, even though I pass as Caucasian, you know, I feel who my heritage is. And I said, I haven't seen a lot of Mexican-Americans. And he says, oh, don't worry, we have migrant workers. What? And I thought, we'll fit right in. And I'm like, <laughs> so your idea of what a Mexican-American is, is someone oh, who's that's picking crazy. your wow. food. And so that was a real wake-up call because that was his awareness. Yeah. And so then I thought, okay, now what can I do in this program to bring a little bit more truth to that? I mean, and it was a diverse program in all fairness, but it was just a really strange comment, like right off the bat. And I thought, have I made the biggest mistake of my <laughs> life? This is what... You know, like what's what's going on here? But in the end, like I said, it... it you know, yeah, like anything else, there's always bumps. There's always things that are challenges, but I got the best education I could there. I got to go and work in New York, you know, and from there I got to do what I wanted to do in life. And so, you know, you just, you adjust to it and you try to be a verb in the situation, you know, and advocate for like, hey, you know, not all Mexican-Americans are maids and pick your fruit. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, and so that's how you, you know, you change it. You change it through your art, you know, through conversation. So, yeah. What was the other school that you could have gone? Is Florida State? Florida State and Temple okay. in Philadelphia. Okay. They were all the top in the top 10 at that time. And so, um, but I wasn't, I wanted to be a feature filmmaker in the sense that I want to make narrative film. I didn't want to make documentary at that point. And Temple was really focused into documentary. Okay. So I, that was kind of that, you know, kind of, and I think Athens was a good transition because I go from a really small town to, and Athens is not that big. There's Court right. Street. Yeah. Everybody shows up at <laughs> Halloween and has a great party, right? Yeah. You know, and, but, but, you know, in essence, it, it's not huge it's not overwhelming like if i'd gone to like nyu i think that would have been too much at the time i think it was a transition piece that really says a lot for your portfolio though if you got offers you know coming from where you started right they're probably like dang this this girl made this movie out of uh you know a couple sticks and uh And, uh, some some mountain dew cans yeah like let's bring her in yeah what kind of stuff did you show them to get into film school um yeah so i had made a short film in undergrad and it was again you know it was Good, bad, good, bad, good, bad, you know, you know, and it's like, um, and it was called Everything But Water, and it was about, like, dealing with, like, the AIDS crisis in college. It was, like, a lot. It was way too much. But, you know, they'd seen that. They could see, you know, and I shot on, like, SVHS because I didn't have, like, 16 millimeter available to me, you know. Again, <laughs> just not access. Yeah. But it's really about what you do. So, like, you take what you have. It, they still say that today in filmmaking. Now, you can make films on your phone now, right? You know, Tangerine was made on your phone, like, literally. But they found a way to do it in a way that looked cinematic and they had good audio. It's like, get your good audio, get your good picture, show that you can put it together. And that's how you make those steps for it. And it was the same thing in getting to those schools. Is I literally was some of the people that were in my my, my program at OU, they had shot on 16, they shot on 35, they had <laughs> studied at the American Conservatory, da, 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 da. and I'm like, uh, yeah, I did some drama, I got an English degree, and I shot on SVHS. Like, that's what I had. But you get, it's like you take what you have, you make it the best, and then you keep moving forward and getting to better you know, better things. Were you so, yeah. intimidated showing up, like, from rural Texas to OU with these? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, of course. You know, you've got a guy in the classroom who's like, well, I find this to be complete and total bedlam. And I'm like, wow, he just threw out an SAT word. Whole, they do that in real life. I thought that was just on the test. Yeah. And, you know, um, you know, there's it, it is, you know, but you find your people. And I found a couple of people there. I, you know, became one of my best friends in life was Galen McGriff. He's a filmmaker. He lives in Atlanta. He's also an educator there. He got his grad degree. You you find your people and then you you make good work. And so, yeah, it was it was totally awkward you know but at the same time you know if you want something bad enough you try to get through the awkward and the anxiousness and say okay i want to do this thing i mean 
I wanted at four years old to make movies. I'm literally sitting in front of that crappy family console. And it's back when you had to turn the antenna up in the on the on the actual roof. You had to twist it, right? Yeah. To get PBS, right? But there I am watching the Oscars. And I just saw that thing and I, I was listening and listening. And I don't know what happened in my four-year-old brain. I was like, I want one of those. You know, through that fuzzy TV. And it's like, I wanted to make films and I wanted to write. You know, I can't remember a time I wasn't writing stories. Like you know, as a child, you know, my parents were like, don't go in the bathroom too long because I'd literally be writing on toilet paper. You know, it's like, you know, get in and out, you know, but I'd get an idea and I would just start writing. There was nothing that was safe for me, like not to write on. I mean, mostly not walls at school because, you know, that's where you get in trouble. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you learned your lesson there, right? Uh, yeah. So what did you feel like confident as a filmmaker that, you know, you could, you, you did belong and you, you know, you, you, your, your peers weren't intimidating to you? It took probably... It's probably my second or third year because I, I didn't I didn't feel confident in that first year. And I had a teacher um, who challenged me and says, well, you don't have a point of view. And, I, you know, looking back, I think there was part truth to that. And I think part of it was he had a real – I seemed to have a problem with women, you know, and, and I wasn't feeling strong enough. You know, I felt intimidated that first year. I actually wanted to quit. Um, but by the second year, I found that um, – kind of started to find my niche. I started directing things that I – I wasn't trying to prove anything to anyone else but myself. You know, so I wasn't trying to get someone to like me. I was trying to tell the stories I've always wanted to tell. And so I made a short film called Passing Through and I went back to Texas and I filmed it and I got to film on 16, right? So I'm getting to have 16 millimeter. You got to understand when you go from SVHS to that, you're like, wow, that's rich. It has all of these things that you've always wanted to see. And and and, it, and then it went it won on to win awards and it was, you know, and so now it was like, okay, now I see. The thing is that you have to be your authentic self. Yes, there are ways in which everyone has, you know, has some degree of selling out once they make it into the big world. But I'm just, I'm still in film school. I'm making my, my movies. And that's when, that's when I knew. I was like, okay, the, the real focus is to do that. And then by third year, you know, I got a, some sort of scholarship or something or um, grant. Um, and I got to go to Mexico and make a film about border kids. And so that was another way. Again, you know, it's all just, it was steps of, of finding, you know, and there's times that like, oh, should I do this? Should I do this? Like when you met me, I'm making a Doritos commercial with a bunch of my friends. We don't get paid for that. We just had an idea. We thought it would be fun. Maybe it'll do well. Maybe it won't, but we'll go for it. Right. And so we all got together for a day and we did it. And the, the kids had a great time. You know, we make a nice product. Everybody gets a reel if they want it and they can put it on their reel, their acting reel or whatnot. And then that's it. You know, you, you, you know, it's a day that you get to do that. And, you know, so I think the, the transition, you know, like from, you know, filmmaker to writer to filmmaker, I get to do both now. I get to kind of go between the two. The film that came out a few years ago, it's now available for purchase is at risk summer. And at risk summer is when I left Cincinnati, put everything into storage, right? Everything. So I could afford to go out, rented a car, filled it full of books. And I drove out across America and I started doing workshops with at-risk youth at no cost to their programs. And it was sort of like a hybrid book tour because my book, Fat Angie, had just come out that set in Ohio. And instead of like the idea of going just into the bookstores and just, you know, signing books, because let's be honest, you're not going to get a line out the door unless you're like huge, right? Not Harry Potter, right? I'm writing about a fat girl in Ohio. Let's see what happens. <laughs> and so, but the idea was I had been inspired by a kid in Texas. And I said, let me try this thing because I didn't know if I could do it. But I thought, what if I could inspire other kids who didn't feel like they fit the mold of whatever that, what it means to fit? And what if I could inspire them to see the best part of themselves? Or maybe they'd inspire me. I didn't know. And so as we went, I went on this journey, 
you know, we didn't have a huge production crew. It was, again, that whole DIY thing going out. But, you know, we filmed on DSLRs, we filmed on phones, we filmed on whatever we could do, GoPros, whatever, and drove through tornadic weather, through fires, through whatever, and out. But the truth is, is we get and meet with these kids. And they were kids that nobody wanted to meet with. And I'm like, why? They're some of the best kids I've ever met. You know, and so from that, we got the documentary out of summer. So again, it's just like, wow, you know, it's just, you go out and you do a thing and you see what happens, you know? So, yeah. So what does the writing kick in? I mean, like, I know you're writing your whole life, yeah. but when, when do you get the notion, I, you know, yeah. I'm going to write a book? Yeah. So in 2004, 2005, on a dare, a fellow writer who's now pretty established at the time she was still working to move up, uh, Pat Schmatz, she had she had read some stuff I had written, and there was this one thing called Price Fighter. And I said, hey, what do you think about that piece? And she's like, I don't know. It's not really your strongest stuff. And I'm like, what? And so I'm like, what are you talking about? It's like, it's like this Mexican. He's like, the, he's like the Mexican Hulk, and he's from Mexico, and he's like a prize fighter, and he's a legal prize fighter. And I'm like trying to – and she just wasn't in. So I was kind of like frustrated because I was like, I just thought you're not getting me. Well, that's ego, by the way. <laughs> totally, you're, I know you're yeah, sitting there. Course. That's totally ego. My art's bad. No, yeah. it's you. Yeah, it's you. It's totally you. <laughs> and um, so I sat down in two months. I just pounded out. Never wrote a book a day in my life. You know, I had a screenwriting background and a playwriting background, but nothing in books. Pounded it out. Sent it to her on her birthday. And I said, Now what do you think? And she says, This is going to be a book. And so less than a year later, I'd won the Delacorte Del Yearland Award, the Random House which is a major publisher, and they hadn't given it out in five years. And they said, um, do you got anything else? And I said, sure, but it's a dog. You're not going to like it. Gave them the book. They bought it right away. And so there you go. Now I'm a novelist. Wow. It was literally just – and had I not been so frustrated <laughs> with her saying yeah. it wasn't good, we wouldn't be having a conversation about being a novelist because I don't think it was something I would have been called to. It was literally this other person who was writing books saying, you know, now I think this is this, and then I – turned around and I felt like, well, I can prove you wrong. Again, that's ego too. And sometimes that works against you. In this case, it was a win. And so what came out of it was Price Fighter Mikasa. So yeah. Yeah. So, so, so how do you get people to read your books? Like once, you know, okay, they publish it. Yeah. But then, all right, you put it on a shelf. You know, they're, they're, how do you build up the buzz? How do you get the people to, you know, to buy into right. what you're doing, seeing your vision? Right. right. I mean, because it seems like it's like everybody goes on recommendations and, oh, Oprah likes it, so I'll read this, yeah. but... Yeah, I'm Oprah hasn't waste, read my book yet. <laughs> I'm not going to waste my time with, you know, what I... Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, you know, I think it's like this, right? So, Buzz is interesting. I mean, you know, Buzz from, like, 2007 versus Buzz now is very different, right? So, now it's Twitter, it's Facebook, it's um, Instagram. And it's also having, sometimes, social media influencers, right? We know all about them. And they'll, you know, some of them are the most wonderful people in the world. And they're like, wow, this is a great book. I want to put this out there. And there are people that you pay to do that. I don't have that kind of money. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, and they flip your book cover out on their social media and say, yeah, I'm into this. Um, you know, so the, the journey of getting people buzzed about it is also part of the work that I do in the world, though. So some writers write books just to write the books and to put them out there and say, read this book. And they don't really want to go out and do like school visits or, you know, conferences and stuff. And it's not a lack of they just want to write books. That's their thing. And they get to do that. My thing is the book's the vehicle, right? So the book is like something I hand to you. And now we can have another discussion that goes beyond the book. And I want to come into the classrooms. And I want to go into juvenile detention. And I want to go to the homeless programs. And I want to go out. I want to have conversations. So my work extends beyond just the idea that I wrote the book. I want to be a part of that conversation. And so that's the difference for me. So some of the buzz is the fact like 
I'm going to be on the road now. It was only supposed to be till May 7th. Now it's going to be till I don't get to go home till May 19th. And which is okay. I'm not, you know, and don't think it's a bankroll either because it's not. But it's literally, you know, sometimes. Homeless people and uh, <laughs> at-risk youth don't have money to, to fund your uh, well, tour. Well, the thing is, is that you know, on one level, the publisher can totally do that. Candlewick is my publisher and they're helping with certain things. Like, and then they're totally amazing. The other pieces, the parts that I'm choosing that I believe that I want to be doing, the independent booksellers who have opened their doors to me have like said, here's an outreach program. Here's this, here's that. Oh, you need a place to stay. Here's where you can stay. Or, Hey, I can open my doors to you. So people literally can, I mean, that's trust, right? They, some of these people don't know me. I mean, you know, they're like, here, come in my house. I'm like, wow. And you know, again, a lot of that was also the groundwork was laid when I went on at risk summer and I did that tour, you know, in 2013 and people have seen the film and they, they know about that. And so, you know, part of that allows for more buzz, right. And to elevate, you know, and then there's reviews and blogs and all of that stuff, too. It all plays a part of it, right? At the end of the day, write a good story, write a good book, people get excited, right? And if you're willing to position it, whatever that means, then, you know, it goes from there. Yeah. Did you reach a crossroads when the first book came out? Did you think, well, what, am I a novelist now or do I still pursue filmmaking? Or Oh, absolutely. In? Absolutely. I mean, because, you know, I'm like, I didn't even know what to do with that because here I've won this award and they're going to buy this other book. And I'm like... I never wanted to be a novelist. There's so many words. Like <laughs> I was like, I was like, come on, that's a lot of words on the page. Um, and you know, and I had an English degree. It's not like I hadn't read books, but just the idea of creating one just seemed like. But it was just the right time and in the right space. But you know, afterwards, it's sort of like, well, I want to make movies though. And so I did straddle that line pretty hard for a while. So sometimes I was actually, you know trying to do more of the movie thing and less of the books. And that's why there's gaps in between, between like when my second book feels like home came out into fat Angie, the first one, like there's a gap between there because I was, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Who was I, you know? And so, and, and what was I as an artist? What I wanted to put in the world. I didn't have a sense that I was going to ever be the person who goes out and works with what, whatever we call at risk is like at risk youth and do that. I didn't have a sense that it ever happened until 2013 when I literally was inspired by one kid in Texas. And I thought, okay, this one kid has made me think, what if I could do this? You know? And so, but before that, it was literally going between writing and filmmaking and trying to find like, where's my end? Where do I go? So, yeah. So what happened in 2013? What would, what was the, yeah. So in 2013, um, I'm, Fat NG had come out in March and in May I was down in Texas. I was kind of doing a little research for something and an educator friend of mine said, hey, and it's a town also, by the way, that is completely smaller than mine, which is almost like, wow, like 2000 people. And she goes, hey, listen, I have this kid. He's in my um, history class, I think. Was it history? Maybe he's in my class and um, he doesn't talk to people. He doesn't really engage. He doesn't look up um, and he's he's got some struggles. All right. But um, he's so talented. He's written this story. Would you look at it? So when you're a writer, everybody says, when you look at it? It's just like when you're a filmmaker. Hey, I've got a screenplay, right? Yeah. But but like she's an educator. You know, I want to honor that. So, okay, I go and I start reading this story and it's actually good. This kid is really good. I mean, there's some jumps in time there where I'm like, eh, but he's in school, right? And this kid, I'm saying, I looked at her and said, who's working with this kid? She's like, nobody. Who's going to work with him here? We don't have any resources. How old is he? Um, at the time he was probably 13. Okay. Is that right? At 13. And so I said, oh my God. And she goes, would you be willing to meet him? Well, like I'm passing through and I'm like, 
I sure, I guess. And so she makes a series of phone calls. The mom works at like the local grocery. Remember, you got to think not Cincinnati. You got to think small town grocery, right? And mom takes off of work immediately, brings the kid over. And she says, look, he's not going to talk to you, but he's going to listen. Like he'll hear you. I said, okay, cool. And it's not that he couldn't speak. He just didn't want to, right? He just wasn't engaged. So he comes over. I'm super gregarious. I'm like, hey man, how's it going? I got my hand out. And he's like, whoa, you're freaking me out. And so I'm like, dial it down, right? And um, we sit down and I start going through his story and I'm flipping through the pages and I'm talking about the different elements of plot and character. I'm like, man, this is so good. And so then as we're, t- as I'm talking, the first thing I notice is that he looks up. I get him to look up in that 45 minutes. And then the next thing I notice is that I get him to talk. So that's two wins, right? And the third thing is he smiles. I get this kid who doesn't look up, who doesn't talk, who doesn't engage to look, talk and smile. And I said, What is this magic? What is this magic that just happened? And the magic is that for something, someone saw him in a way that he could click in. Now, I don't think I'm magical, but whatever I said or whatever I was doing, something was clicking. And that's when I said, what if I could do this with more kids? And I had never tried. Like, I mean, I went to a couple school visits, but I never tried. And that's when I thought, that's the light bulb moment. That's when I go back. I put everything into storage and I try to do something I've never done. And it was the most poorly planned thing I ever did in my life. Um, And it was the most phobic thing. I don't like to be in cars. I don't like tornadoes. I don't like you list everything. I'm a germ phobe. And it was all those things in day one. And it was like all of that. And it was the best thing I ever did. It was the best thing I ever did. You know, Um, because you can see even now with some of those kids I've met, like the ripple effect. I mean, I'm not in close correspondence, but I do see some of them that are featured in the film. Um, some even live in the town that I live now in California and I get to see the journey and I go, wow. And I got to be just a small part of that moment. And I'm like, that's, that's okay. That's a life like living, like worth doing, you know? So, so yeah. how did you wind up in Cincinnati? Oh, right after school or no, no, no. Cause right after school, I kind of, I was in Belgium for a while. I was living in Wisconsin. My brother's in Belgium. And so no, Cincinnati, I had some friends here and I was looking for a, a place to kind of land. And this, you know, was a really good landing spot. It was a perfect size city. You know, um, it's got everything you need. It's got the Reds. It's got, you know, the Bengals. You know, it's got your sports. Um, it didn't, I don't think we had hockey then. Um, but yeah. Hockey for ages. Yeah. I don't know. Um, and so, yeah, it just, it, it just felt right. It felt like a city that I could grow in. And it was true. There was a film community here. Of course, it hadn't kind of, you know, expanded as much as it did, like when Carol came or when Emilio's film came. But it was on the move of that direction. And so I just felt like I could grow here. You know, it felt like a good city, a good fit. And so um, it ended up being that, you know. Um, Isn't it crazy? Like people don't expect Cincinnati to have all this uh, stuff going on. No, yeah. they don't. Yeah. They don't get it. And you go downtown. You know, if you're a location scout and you go downtown, there's parts of the downtown that look just like New York. That's what I like about Cincinnati is you can, depending on what the lens sees, you can create different places in this country. It's all right here. It's such a beautiful town to film in because it can be rustic and it can be, you know, refined. You can, you know, you can make it what you want, right? And that makes the storytelling more rich, right? You know, you've got all the seasons and all the colors and you, it's... I just don't know. It's like the hidden gem for such a long time, right? It's like, why why isn't everybody filming in Cincinnati? You know? That's so, yeah. For sure. You go across the river, and I always uh, tell my daughter, that, or she goes to NKU, and it looks like uh, 
a 70s science fiction film yep. what they thought the future would but in a good way it looks yeah. really cool yeah yeah so yeah there's just all kinds of uh, things and uh, I guess I'd, I'd have to ask because you know the the quintessential question mm-hmm. when's the first time you tried Cincinnati chili when's the first time I tried it yeah oh right after I mean I coming from Texas it. too no 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 no. I have I have because there is the great debate right it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's especially for a Texan chili. no 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 you know the great debate is I mean, I know there's Dixie. I know there's others across the way, but it's really Gold Star versus Skyline. If yeah. we're going to break it down, can I get a, an agreement here that that's yes. true? Yeah. Well, we, we have sure. full disclosure. We have an opinion. Okay. Yeah. We, <laughs> okay. Well, we drew a line in the sand. Okay. I'm just, I'm just going to, I'm going to want to know what that line is. So as a Texan, you know, they take their chili very seriously. Right. Now, Cincinnati chili is different than Texas chili. Yep. So I can't put them in the same category. It's like exactly. it's like apples to spinach. Yeah, like, yeah. why would you do that? So, admittedly, it's Skyline for me. Ooh, okay. I know, I know, yeah, I know, okay. I know. That's but, fine. We, we, we appreciate uh, your You got to understand, you got to understand, you got to understand the person that, that I was dating at the time. It's watery chili. Yeah, it's watery chili. <laughs> it's sweet. I know, but. Shots fired. I know, I know, I know. The thing is, is the person I was dating, their dad was like a huge Skyline fan. His name's Carl Miller, and he just loves Skyline. And so it was like, it was where we went. We went to Skyline, and yeah. we didn't do a lot of Gold Star. No, I've had Gold Star. I don't turn my nose up to it. Okay, I don't. But if I had to pick, I know it's the watery there chili for this person. No, that's fine. Nope. We can't. Uh, it's okay. It's okay. I know. I, I know. I've lost a little cred here by disclosing <laughs> that. But but that's, here's the question: Will either of you eat geta? Yeah. Oh, of course. Gliers. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just making sure. How to get yeah. ever had to get a burger? Uh, it's actually on my to-do list before I leave town. It's proper, yeah. <laughs> Gata, that's, uh, that's all the rage. I'm just making sure yeah. because there are a lot of folks that won't touch it, but I'm just saying. No, you no. got to have the Geta. Oh, yeah. You've got to have the Geta. Yep. I mean, we're transplants as well, so I was oh. wondering, uh, both from Northeast Ohio. Okay, but, uh, okay. Yeah, but uh, the his other his, the other owner, he's one of the owners, the other owner is properly from Cincinnati. So, oh, okay. Yeah, so I was just, I was just curious because the big debate is always the thing that throws people is the fact that it's called chili. Yeah. And that throws people because they're expecting chili con carne. They're expecting like a Texas chili. Yeah, yeah, I know. And if you get that out of your head immediately. You can let that go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just got to let that go and you just, you know, and you know, kids like to say the three-way and the four-way. They love to say that. They love that little saying. And there it's old. Now, yeah. it's like, oh, I just had a three-way, and yeah. everybody in the room turns who yeah, doesn't yeah. know you're in Ohio. Exactly. You know, they're like, wow, yeah. you're so progressive. So, it's just chilly. Yeah. So when you get to Cincinnati, what what do you do? Do you, is that, do you start making films here? Or yeah. Did you start? Okay. Yeah, so you get to Cincinnati, you start to meet people, uh, the Southern Ohio Filmmaker Association, they call themselves SOFA, when you put it all together. Um, meet those folks, and you start to you know, make friends and you get on people's crews, you do some music videos. And so that's what I did is like, I just like hopped around. You have Lightborn as a podcast. Uh, yes. I knew Scott at Lightborn. And so I, you know, you know, I didn't do directly work with them, but I got to, you know, kind of check it out and I got to use a little of their gear sometimes. That's on the DL. Now everyone knows, Uh-oh. but this was a long time ago, so it doesn't count, but it was all insured. And, um, <laughs> but yeah, so it's like, you know, and I got to meet people who were doing things. And so that's what you do is it, you know, you plug in, you just start from the bottom up and and you just, you know, and then from there you start producing. And that's what I did, produce some feature films. Again, they were all indie stuff. It was nothing, you know, cataclysmic, like I wasn't doing like Avengers. But, you know, and in, in that, though, it was, again, it's that whole DIY thing, just building myself up and trying to, you know, move to a place that, that I could start making films I cared about. And most notably, controversially probably, is uh, we I had uh, 
done a film for Glisten Cincinnati. Then it's called A Culture of Silence. We were we were at the Esquire. We had two showings this weekend. Both were sold out. Um, and but it's definitely going to be a hot button documentary for some people. Um, it's um, called A Culture of Silence, being LGBTQ in Catholic schools. And so that's the hot button. You know, when you're a director for hire, you come in, you do a film that you, you're hired to do. And the other piece of it is I did care because I didn't want to make a film about bashing the Catholic Church. Like, I'm not Catholic, but I don't feel the need to bash anyone. Yeah. And it wasn't that kind of film. So, But it is about the experience of young people in Catholic churches and experience about teachers who stand up for young people. And so, you know, again, you know, it's, it's a hot button topic, but um, it's a conversation. And again, it's just like what I'm doing in my writing. It's like, let's have conversations, you know, and now Glisten can have a conversation with other people about this. So, yeah. So I, I guess people kind of have a sense of like what the music scene is like in sure. town because of a big music scene. But yeah. when you, in the film scene, I don't think people are quite as, uh, aware, like, I mean, are you helping each other out doing projects? I know some other, I know a couple yeah. of gals that do a, a YouTube TV series. Yeah, yeah. They just grabbed all their friends together. Yeah. Uh, and, and, but professionals that knew what they were doing. Really sure. Just like they grabbed anybody. They right. got people that right. donate their time and stuff like that. Is that kind of how the, the film scene works? And is it growing now that the technology yes. is making it easier? Yes. I mean, I think it is. You know, um, you know, uh, one of the guys I work with, James Bailey, he works with a lot of different, you know, productions in town they do like web series and stuff and yes they all get together who are buddies some of them right i mean there's the professional professional hollywood things that come in but then if you're local some of it is they get together with your friends but they're all qualified filmmakers these aren't people who are just like hey man want to make a movie this weekend it's like you know it's because they want to make something good because it's a calling card out for them you know with amazon prime and with netflix and with hulu with streaming series you know they're looking for content right and so if you're making content, they may buy your content, right? And YouTube is now officially, like you were just saying, you know, they, you know, they actually, you know, are putting content on there that you purchase by, you know, becoming a member, right? So I think there's a lot of that happening in this town. It's a small, no matter where you go, whether you're in LA or you're here, filmmaking, like anything else, there's a small community of people who really know each other and they decide, is this person, you know, legit? Are they doing good work? Is it a little like sketch? And you know, what I see more often than not is people are getting together and making really great stuff. And sometimes it's feature length and sometimes it's a little smaller. But those smaller pieces are opening more doors, right, to get into, you know, whether they want to break into television or, you know, move elsewhere. So, I mean, I know that Plum Street Productions has been here for a while. They're an indie little house, but they are putting out really good materials. You know, some of it's commercial, some of it's feature. They're producing Chinny Chen is, I think, the primary person there. I know Chinny. There you go. Yeah. And so Chinny is the one who's doing great work over there. And James Bailey, who I mentioned, she, he works often with her. They also go and work at the National Spelling Bee. I think that's in they, they have it in D.C., I believe. And so they go and they everything, you know, you're seeing, they're putting together. And so that's coming out of Cincinnati. Like, you, you have to remember, it's like, it's not just what they're doing here. It's like, what are they doing when they go outward, right? And so there's a lot of things happening here. People don't always know that. And that's what I love about this town. You know, is there so much happening, whether it's music, whether it's film, you know, whether it's, you know, an art show downtown, you know, whether it's the games, like there's always something in Cincinnati. It's a little bit like a little New York, right? Like you, and it's like, it's a city that hums. Yeah. It's not as annoying. There you go. <laughs> it hums. It doesn't scream. Right. And that's why we're here spreading the word. I know. I love this town. You know, do you think technology is help? Like, cause I know it's in, a, in music, it's kind of, you know, this way. And then I guess even in, and other forms of art. Mm -hmm. Does technology help bring out talent or does it help people with a lot of, that don't have a lot of talent to get out in the way and kind of muck things up? I think it's both, right? I mean, of course, anybody with a phone now can make a movie. 
It really can. I mean, and the plus is if you're a young person, you don't have to lug around a giant VHS camera on your shoulder. You can literally pull out your phone. And use two VCRs. And use, yeah, you know, now <laughs> that technology puts everything in reach, right? So technology is, a, you know, it's it's a plus and it can sometimes give you a minus. You know, at the end of the day, you know, if if people want to pick up their phones and make things that are silly and, and go for it, then go for it, right? I think it's a win. You know, like if I'd had this technology as a young person, if you'd had this technology, right? Think of the things we could have made. The things we could have done just from that early onset. Imagine us at 13, right? Yeah. With yeah. access to like After Effects. Like that we could do that on our own computers at home. The things we could have created or to watch YouTube yeah, tutorials. YouTube I mean, that's a film school in and of itself, to be honest. You know, it doesn't give you the advantages of, you know, walking into the door and meeting people like film school does. But it's you. I've seen self-taught people who are just like between YouTube and, you know, certain kinds of manuals. And they're just like blowing the doors off of it. Like. It's a win. You, it's again. It's it's always about more information, right? To to keep you know accelerating. But yeah, sure. There's a lot of bad stuff made, of course. Yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of bad books read. You know, there's a lot of bad paintings. But you know, it is what it is. You know, it's all part of the process, right? So you no longer live in Cincinnati. I don't. Um, I've recently, in the last two years, I think or so, I've been out in California. So after that tour across America, and that went on for a while, and then taking the film at the summer out and doing all that sort of thing, I was like, I decided I wanted a bit of a change. So I went out to Chico, California, population like 99,000. We're most known now because of the big fires um, that happened in November, um, about 50 miles from me in Paradise. It took out the entire town, and wow. um, we absorbed a lot of that community. But... You know, there's been a lot of support and, um, you know, in because of the nonprofit that I run, Never Counted Out, part of what we've done is, you know, right in the, in the moment of that, we tried to help the kids, like, getting them books and getting them backpacks and whatever. And there's been other people coming in doing the same thing, right? So, tiny little Chico um, in Northern California has been a great town, too. Um, is it my forever home? I don't know. I might mean I'm back in Cincinnati as possible. I mean... I love this town, and but it's in a contender for Austin, Texas, too. Oh, yeah. I love that town, too. Everybody's right. moving to Austin. I know. So if everybody's yeah. there, it might be too crowded for me exactly. by the time I get there. Yeah, it's not yeah. cool so, anymore. Yeah. yeah. So, but yeah. So I don't know. But it's it's been good. And, you know, it's so funny. I was driving down the street one day, and I looked over, and there was Video Maker Magazine. If you're a video maker, you know you're a nerd that way. And you go, oh, my God, Video Maker? They've been in existence for I don't know how many years. But I remember being in film school and reading about it. I was like, they're right in my own town. What is this about? So... So why Chico? What, how, did you were just there once and said, oh, I like this place. Well, when I was on the tour, when I was on okay. the tour, I had I had some of the best kids I had. Well, I met so many good kids, but I had a re there's a really dramatic scene. Uh, it's a documentary. It's not coached. It's just the, what they're saying. It's dramatic. And I, I still don't watch it to this day. It's hard for me. But these kids at this school called Ver Fairview, Fairview High School, I met them. And when I was on the tour and I spent some time in Chico and I thought, I like this town. I like this town. And I was uprooted at that point, right? Literally, all my stuff was still in storage. You know, and I, I had a choice at that point. And so I was, you know, I wasn't, you know, grounded for a while. So I was like, why not? Why not try something different? And, you know, it's good weather, you know, on average and good people. And I, you know, I just thought I'm going to try something different. And I did. And it was it was a good match for the time, you know. Yeah. And I guess nowadays it's easier. You can make stuff from anywhere pretty much. Well, sure. I mean, and yeah. plus I'm in California, right? So, I mean, the Bay is what a couple hours away to San Francisco. And then, you know, L.A. is what? It's seven and a half hours, eight maybe. You know, if, if, you know, and I have friends that were from here who are now in L.A., you know, so it's not like, you know, it's not like I don't have a connection. But you can do what you want to do wherever, you know, with a com with the right computer and the right hard drive, yeah, you know, yeah. and some gear, you're set. And, you know, so it was fine. It was a fine transition. So how does the nonprofit work? Kind of walk us down a little yeah, bit. Yeah, it's real basic. So 
from going on the tour and realizing sort of the book deserts that kids had or like in Philadelphia where sometimes they would actually have the libraries, but they were locked and you couldn't access the books. So the teachers are having to try to put them in the classrooms because you can't go into the library because there's no funding for librarians. So I started to realize this real need for materials and for creative mentorship. Those were the two pieces. So Never Counted Out does those things. So let's say you've got a school and you're like, wow, we don't have any books, right? And we don't have any money for books. And then you write to us and say, we could really use some. So we pull them off the shelves and we run it right out of my house and we send the books to you the best we can. And so one is the access to, to books, right? And books that represent all kinds of kids, you know, you know, black, native, Asian American, white, whatever. Everyone gets to have a book that's, you know, whatever we have in representation. And then the other piece is creative mentorship. The thing I never had as a kid, the thing that kid in that town didn't have. And those were the things I learned is that I can't always be everywhere, right? Like that's the dream, but I can't ride around forever in the Ford Focus. So then it's like, um, so then it was like, okay, well, what if I can get other artists, you know, photographers, writers, people I'd met on the journey and said, hey, would you donate one hour a year? Just one. And everybody was, everybody's got an hour. And so if they're, you know, in in their community or community they're going to, they donate that hour if they want. Sometimes they donate more than an hour. And then they, they do that outreach for kids who would otherwise not have any access to a writer, a photographer, a painter, whatever. So that's, that's the first, those are the first two pieces in the long term is that someday we'll have the camps where kids can come to the camp and they can hang out with A.S. King or Greg Neary or any authors and filmmakers. And maybe this is the filmmaking camp. Maybe this is the writing camp. So that's the long term goal. You know, so that's that's what Never Counted Out is. It's just basically generating access to creative mentorship and to literature, you know? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. How can people support that? Well, they can go to NeverCountedOut.com and, um, you know, there's a donate section and that's either financial or it can also be books as long as they're in, you know, pretty good shape. Like, they're like, oh, wow, I have all these children's books my kid doesn't want to read anymore. Pop them in the mail to us, media mail, because that's the cheapest. And guess what? We'll give them out to kids. Cool. Yeah. That doesn't even realize, too, another asset we have in town that people realize is our library system. Oh, my God. Your library system is amazing in Cincinnati. Oh, it's so beautiful. That was the one hard thing to leave because it was, like, just everywhere. And the one downtown is just, I could sit there for, you know, I'm a nerd, right? I'm a book nerd. So I loved it. I mean, it's great. The library movie comes out this Friday. Yeah. Didn't, didn't he have a screening last week, I think, mm-hmm. or something? It was a screening, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the, they filmed another movie there, part of a movie there, hmm. uh, a couple of years ago, too. I can't remember which one it was. Did it, it didn't have anything to uh-huh. It wasn't the George Clooney one, right? It might have been. Yeah, it might have been the... I just see the cover in my head, but... Yeah. With Ryan Gosling. Yeah. I wonder if they had a little bit in well, there. Oh, people yeah. don't know this, Maybe. but our library, I think the... the Two largest libraries in the country, I believe, are New York and Los Angeles. I think Los Angeles may be bigger than New York. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think in the top five, Cincinnati, yep. Cleveland. Cleveland? Yes. I didn't know uh-huh. Cleveland was in the top. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if it's in terms of circulation. There's two different categories. There's circulation, mm-hmm. and then there's just raw materials that they have. Sure. And I think in the raw material department is where Cleveland and, and Los Angeles are the tops. Wow. And, uh, and circulation-wise, it's New York, Chicago, Cincinnati. But yeah, we have a... People don't realize what a what a great asset that is. No, no, no. It's we something I talk about. You have to know that fact. Well, yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, really, after you go to the Reds game tonight, tomorrow, you go to the library. That's right? right. There you go. Oh, yeah. And you read and, your and, book during the Reds game. There. Oh, well, there you go. I don't know how the Reds feel about that. but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was surprised to find, though, when I went to the library, I have a little application on my telephone. Uh-huh. And uh, it's where my library card is. Mm-hmm. And um, you can go and just scan out stuff with your phone. It yeah. It doesn't bother anybody. And the, 
library. I was like, oh, nobody ever uses that. And I'm like, they don't? What are they, crazy? They might not know about it. And they I'm might not know. And, I'm old and I know how to use this. <laughs> You're older. Older. <laughs> and you know how to use it. Well, but most people probably don't know that. And you know everyone has a smartphone. Yeah, everyone. Yeah, yeah. I so the matter is, get, they need to get the word out better. I guess. Well, I think you just did. So it's very, yeah, yeah. Get the app. Shout get the library. library app. Yeah, let's get, go. Get somebody from the library on the podcast. <laughs> uh, next. There you go. Yeah. So what's next? What's the you're going to stay in California for the foreseeable future? Yeah. Well, for for the moment, we'll see. Might move out in the next year or two. Just kind of feeling it out. But right now, I'm on tour for Fat Angie Rebel Girl Revolution. It's a sequel to Fat Angie. And I'm going, um, next stop will be in Indianapolis and then on to uh, Mississippi, Nashville, and then New Orleans. Oh, wow. Yeah. Those are, those are the drive moves. And then I'll be going to the LA Time Festival of Books and so on and so on and so on. So it's, uh, it's going to be about seven more weeks of Rebel Girl Revolution. And so what that really means is just talking with kids and empowering them to be like their best selves. All right. You know? So let's talk about your, the stuff people can find, your books. Sure. Like Fat Angie was. First, let's go in order with the books first. Fat uh, Angie's first. Uh, well, yeah, that was my third novel's Fat Angie. Second, oh, what's, what's the first? First book, book is Price Fighter and Mikasa. Oh, sorry, I thought, okay, so I thought. Second one's Feels Like Home. Okay. Third one is Fat Angie, and then Fat Angie Rebel go. Girl Revolution. Okay, the, there you go. So fat, it's a trilogy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it'll, it will be a trilogy in the end, the Fat Angie sure. ones, and All then right. so yeah, and then um, you can find them, of course, at Target, Walmart, Amazon. Your local indie bookstore. All right, cool. Any yeah. plans to make uh, Fat Angie into movies? Well, movies maybe not, but I'm meeting with a film guy. It looks like possibly series. So Ooh, that's uh, the new thing now, obviously. You know, true. Netflix now if, and Amazon. Now what if, uh, say, Netflix comes around and says, yeah, Fat Angie's for us, but you're not the director? That's okay. You're down with that? I'm totally down with that. I'm busy. So awesome. I got things to do. No, at the end of the day, listen, let's be honest. Let's have someone in this. I would prefer be a woman. If it's possible, because there aren't enough women, you know, making and directing films in the film industry. But, you know, at the end of the day, let's put someone in there who has been working within the industry and understands how to make television. I don't know how to make television. Like, I don't. Yeah. I don't. So put someone in there who can do it and make a great thing. Just don't make her a size four. Because <laughs> she's not. Now, you can make anyone else a size four who's supposed to be. But don't make her a size four. They call it fat. <laughs> well, hopefully, they, you know, you're in the process enough to bring in the right person because then they can make, kind of bring their own yeah. vision to it. Yeah. That, Compliments your vision as opposed exactly. to trying to hammer a you know square. Yeah. We need this person to direct it and you know. right, right. That I mean, and that's that's at the end of the day, that's what you want. You know, I mean, um, there are plenty of series now for young people that are you know have more teeth to them than like what would have been on you know years ago, right? And so Netflix and Hulu and all of them are creating stuff, content that is gonna that excites young people to want to watch TV, and why not, right? You know, I mean, is TV the new film? Let's people. It are is. Let's be honest. I mean, it's explosive. Um, I mean, I remember when Netflix was just you get your was it two or three DVDs in the mail and then you would send them back. Yeah. I mean, they're a powerful force to be reckoned with. They're winning awards. They're making changes in how we look at cinema, how we look at television, and I think their stuff on average is hugely cinematic. You know, and that's not something that I would have ever thought of. I mean, and it's not just that. Of course, HBO and has always been there and yeah. done great things. But I'm just saying that it's a new form, this idea of streaming and how they put that content out there. And so I am excited to see what happens next. I'm meeting with our film guy, and I'm stoked to see if we're going to move forward with this as a, as a series. And I think that's the next step. Cool. That's yeah. awesome. It's like uh, comedian Gary Goldman says he, uh, he has a big queue on Netflix. He goes, I'm laying in bed and thinking, I shouldn't be sleeping. I should be up watching movies. Yep, so, exactly. TV series, it's worse because now you have to like go through. you know, but there's commitment. It is, man. Now, now wait. Now, I'm going to flip the table on you. Yeah. So what are you watching right now? 
the last thing I watched on uh, Netflix was uh, Cocaine Island, which was pretty uh, crazy. Yeah. It's not, it's not like Murder Mountain or it's not like uh, Pablo Escobar. Uh-huh. It's just a documentary about a wild story of a dude who uh, heard about <laughs> 70 pounds of cocaine that uh, washed ashore in Puerto Rico. Whoa. That his hippie buddy buried and then left it didn't care about it but anyway it was his it was his uh uh i don't know idea to go dig this thing up and all the stuff that happened now that was pretty wild would you give this wild pretty wild documentary a thumbs up or a thumbs down uh or or like a mid thumb like where you're like in the section of not sure i'll tell you what, i i uh i got up at probably 8 30 the rest of the family was sleeping i was like i'm gonna turn on netflix and it <laughs> It filled the next hour just, just lovely. <laughs> I like just that. Just me, coffee, and that was it. Wow. Okay. That's all I expected. All I, right. I, I, I wasn't ready to get all, you know, yeah. all worked up in the morning. And, no. You, know, you hadn't even it? fully ingested yeah. the caffeine. It was just a good story. Okay. It's a good but, start. Uh, Check that out. The, 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 the Mountain Climber documentary is pretty sweet on Netflix, too. The, the day, I don't know. I heard about that one. I haven't, I can't day, remember. Yeah. About the guy that climbs El Capitan with yep. his buddy. Oh, anyway. nope. Yeah, sorry. We just started the second season of On My Block. How is it? Good. Uh, underst- we understood going in, we were probably getting, even though it's it's made by, I believe it's made mostly mm-hmm. by people of color, but I still think, I sensed, because it's on Netflix, mm-hmm. we're still getting a really whited down version mm-hmm. of things. Okay. But it's still good. And okay. And we, st- we still enjoy it. So, And uh, the second season, there are some bits of craziness we could do without. But right. I think they kind of uh, righted the ship a little bit. And uh, okay. we're, I think, five episodes. Well, I had to work last night, so they watched episode four without me. So I'll have to go back and watch episode oh, I can't two. You know, that. what kind of family is that? Uh, well, they're, they're <laughs> you know? busy, too, and they got stuff to do. They're, All right. Looking forward to, uh, All right. Looking Leave forward, me behind. Looking forward to Stranger Things in July. Oh, God. Me, too. Yeah. Me, too. Yeah. Speaking oh, of filmmaking, we went to Atlanta last year for yeah. spring break. My youngest wanted to go there, and we saw all the places it was filmed. Yeah. It's just so crazy, especially the lab. Yeah. The lab's on Emerson University. And so when okay. you pull up to it from the one side, yeah. Atlanta's right behind it. But in the but in the show, you don't see it. it looks like in the middle of nowhere. They must have green screened it out. They don't. They still, it's the way they shoot it. They shoot from the, if you shoot it from the other side, okay. it'll, it'll, you see the suburbs of it, uh, so they can shoot it, and it's on a hill, so it doesn't really... So they cheated the shot. They, they went that, to the other and side. And they shoot everything down below. Below. And, and then you don't very, see it. You just see the bottom you of the building. Just building. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so smart. Yeah. It's, it's, oh, I uh, love that you I got to see those locations, though. I don't really know anything about filmmaking, but I was like, aha. Aha. Cheat the shot. Cheat the shot. Love <laughs> That's what that's called? Yeah, cheat I'm, the shot. I'm learning something new. See there? It's all about what the frame sees. Awesome. If you put a, a giant green screen back there, one or oh, the other. <laughs> and fun fact, if you go to Douglasville to the police station, yeah. Hawkins Indiana yeah, yeah. Station, stand on the corner, turn around, and look back at the parking lot next to the church, that's where the McDonald's from the founder was. Really? Yeah. Oh, I'm, well, see, I'm going to be down I'm going to be down that way in yeah, yeah. A, a couple of weeks, so I am going to do these things. Do some fact-checking. Yep. Yeah. Then, yeah, they, they built their own, they, they built the McDonald's in the parking lot of the church, and of course they tore it down and the movie was over, but the building that's the Hawkins Police Station is yeah. still there. I don't know what it really is in real huh. life, but it's, yeah, they're Ex- right across the street Expect to see that on Facebook. That's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's my cool Stranger stuff. Things moment. <laughs> All right. So, oh, All right. films, where can people find your films? Because you got your, your films Absolutely. on Absolutely. Yeah. Um. So, if you just go to Big Dream Right, I'm sorry, Big Dreams Right. So it's B-I-G and then the word dreams.com, right.com. You can find all the information about me. That's my website. Okay, cool. And it has films and all the things, all that oh, good stuff. Well, there you go. One-stop yeah. shop. Yeah. One-stop shop. 
There's some music videos on here. I'll yeah. The Take On Me one, Shiny and the Spoon. I love Shiny and the Spoon. Yeah. I love their music so much. Cool. And so, yeah, I've uh, it's got... But yeah, anything you need to find, you'll find it there mostly. Cool. Yeah. All right. So the last order of business we have is uh, we have our guests choose a, a coupon code uh, that, that, that uh, uh, yeah, that people ooh. can use for the... Yeah, it's, they use for 20% off either at our website or in the stores. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a one word or short phrase, and that'll be good from when this episode drops until the next episode. Oh, I'm excited. So I just get to pick a word? Yeah. Any yeah. word? Yeah. Revolution. Oh, nice. Oh, there you go. There you go. All right. Revolution. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Love this podcast. I think I know what my playout song is going to be for the interview, too, then. <laughs> All right. There you go. Um, okay, so, uh, well, that's it, then. Well, All right. got to make this work, because you're just in town just for a brief time. You don't even live here anymore. <sighs> no, but I'll be back in Ohio yeah, for some other events. Yeah. So I'll be back in April, okay, and that's great. great. So, yeah. Super. All right. Well, thanks for doing this. Yeah. We appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> E.E. Charlton Trujillo, quite a story, eh? Uh, she has directed uh, two feature films, worked on three other ones as an editor and in casting, directed ten short films, and has written four novels. The third in the Fat Andy series will come out next year, uh, 2020. That'll make five novels. So uh, her website is bigdreamswrite.com, and that should point you into any direction you need to go with E.E. E. Charlton Trujillo as far as uh, finding her films and uh, her short films and books and all that fun stuff. Uh, also, Cincinnati has the second largest uh, library system in the United States. Cleveland is 13. I don't know where I, I was misremembering that. I thought Cleveland was up higher than that. But be proud, Cincy. We're number two right behind New York City. How about that? There you go. And if you haven't already, go back and plunder the Cincy Shirts podcast archives. Lots of great episodes back there, of course. Matt Bischoff from Survivor has been on. Uh, Gold Star CEO Roger David. Bill Donabedian, the guy that uh, co-founded Bunbury, and I still hope has a hand in booking it. Greg Hamilton from WWE, John Keyswater talking about WKRP and Cincinnati's television history and all that fun stuff. Amy Asbeck from Movies and TV talking about her late husband, John Ritter, as well as her work in Robin Hood Men in Tights and uh, the TV series Wings. Dean Gregory from Montgomery and had some great stories to tell us too. So just go back and check them all out if you haven't already. They are swell. Believe me. So if there's something you'd like to hear on the podcast, just drop us an email, info at cincyshirts.com, and put podcast guest in the subject line, and we'll try to track that person down. And be sure to tell your friends and loved ones about the show, including folks who may no longer live in the area. Um, maybe they still feel connected to the tri-state, though, and be interested in what we are talking about here on the show. Today's show is produced by me, with help from Josh and Darren. Our theme music is Cincinnati by Big Nothing. They are from Philadelphia. You can find their music on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you get your music. Find vintage tees from great places like Boston, Phoenix, Pittsburgh, uh, Cleveland, Louisville, Seattle, and Philadelphia, and more at uh, oldschoolshirts.com. We have a lot of defunct teams, old shopping centers, restaurants, radio stations from all those towns, uh, like Cincy Shirts, but for those particular cities. And in case you missed it, the promo code for this episode is REVOLUTION, all right? That's uh, just REVOLUTION, all caps, all lowercase, doesn't matter. It works either way. Use that to take 20% off your entire cincyshirts.com or oldschoolshirts.com. Dot com order, or you can come into one of our physical brick-and-mortar stores, as we call them, uh, in Over the Rhine, Hyde Park, or Loveland, and say uh, the word revolution, and you'll get your 20% off. Follow our social channels, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat for the latest NC Shirts news. Tell your friends about the show. Give us a review wherever you get the show from. And as always, download or stream us next time. Bye.
щастя 